spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 173rd annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, the weekly dose of just the bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. I have a little situation and I want to get your advice here. So right. do you wear a work uniform? No, I do not. Okay. So for my job, I have to wear scrubs every day, scrubs that you got to pay for pretty much, right? Now, I don't know what it is, but it's happened three times. I So imagine this. I have four pairs of scrub pants, and three times now, the fucking zippers came off of them. Okay. Now, some people might be like, why don't you not get or get a pair without a zipper on them, like the traditional looking ones? And I really prefer to have clothing with a zipper on it because... It's a lot easier to piss than if you don't have it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Especially if it's an emergency situation. You don't want to be fiddling with buttons and shit. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. Are you kind of in the same boat? Uh, no, I actually wear jeans and a T-shirt to work. But I'm so saying, I don't, uh... would you do you prefer to have clothing with a zipper as a male? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So my my military uniform, uh, they were called ABUs. And yeah, there was no zipper. It was just, you know, buttons and all that stuff. So yeah, definitely would rather have a zipper. There was only buttons on like everything. So definitely would rather have a zipper. So here's the other thing that kind of revolves around the zipper, right? If I feel like this question you should ask, if you really want to find out about another, let's say a man or a, a woman wants to find out about a gentleman or whatever, you ask him. If he uses a zipper, when he pees, does he pull out just the penis or the penis and the balls through the hole? Tells you ah. a, tells you a lot about a person. See, I'm a fan of uh, undoing the whole thing. And I'm not a, you know, I don't uh, fucking, you know, like the little kids pull their pants all the way down. I'm not that <laughs> dude. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta open up the whole thing. Oh, you undo the belt, the button, everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. Really? After. Okay. I yep. guess I'm a stealthier type i just like to pull out the necessities and put them back where they belong afterwards no it's not uh no it's not gonna be a quick thing you can uh have a real accident there you gotta you gotta make sure everything's gotta go back in so. you know that reminds me too I, I don't know if you have much experience but the 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 pissing trough is the most disgusting abomination Yes, it's the uh, the terror of the basically going to a football game or like stadiums, basically, or those old school fucking uh, the stock car races back at Howard County Fair. Yeah, that was fucking disgusting. Well, it's just yeah. like, you know, big rectangular oval shaped bathtub and there's just men all around it just pissing in it. And it's just very awkward. 
Yeah, I'm not even a fan of using urinals that much, even with like dividers and your own little situation in front of you. I'm not even a fan of that. I'd much rather just, you know, go in a fucking stall. I just, I think they should get rid of them. Just dudes and chicks, fucking bathrooms, just keep them the same, you know, have them be the same. Just like, you know, stalls, sinks, get the fuck well, out of there. Look, you are a, uh, you go, you probably go to the bar much more than I do. And obviously the bars in my experience are the most notorious ones for public restrooms. Yeah. They have some pretty fucking terrible bar bathrooms out there. There is actually Gilbert Avenue. There is one bar there. Oso. they have the best bathrooms on that entire street. Really? So definitely like that's the place where we always start out and end our night. So that's definitely the place to take a piss before you hop into the Uber. <laughs> You know what I think? I've seen it a few places and usually like newer, hipper places is where you have the bathrooms, but you have a shared sink with the women. So it's like a ginormous community sink, but the bathrooms are separate, obviously. I have seen that before in London. I actually saw that. I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere else, especially not in Phoenix. Phoenix is very much not a very progressive place when it comes to that kind of <laughs> shit. So no, I don't, I don't think I, maybe you might see it in Tempe, like around the university, but that's it. I doubt you'd see it outside of Tempe. I feel like, yeah, it probably is a more European thing because it seems like the type of thing that's more ecological and like space saving. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, obviously it wasn't, you know, the main bathroom parts were separate. But yeah, the sinks and everything kind of were the same. And, you know, I mean, everyone was, you know, doing drugs and shit in there anyway. <laughs> Just like in that fucking <laughs> uh, that that casino in Cardiff with the three dudes coming out of the bathroom. That was a very uh, big city thing that I, I had never seen before. Coming out of the same stall, fucking wiping their nose and shit. <laughs> never been to Vegas, but that has been my favorite casino simply because of the the live roulette, but you could just yes. play like four screens at once without leaving the little tape or the little computer monitor. That was awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, you could do it old school and, and belly up to the table, but they had the um, the row of screens, which was great because you could just pop like, you know, 20 quid on fucking black on all four screens and then, you know. Maybe make out even pretty much. You hit you hit green that one time. Yeah, though. that I, was pretty fucking awesome. I did. I still tell people about that. Yeah, it's probably the luckiest moment of my life. Oh yeah, it was awesome. That was how much? Well, you put you only put like I think one pound down. So uh, I th I might have put two because I know I got seventy five pounds back. Yeah. Did it make up for your losses though? Uh, it, it gave me a little extra money, actually. I remember that. Not a lot, but a little bit extra. Yeah, that was a good night. Yeah, it was fun. We'll, uh, maybe when I come visit, we'll find a nice casino. <laughs> <laughs> find it. Not, not quite like that casino. That casino was more of a, uh, it looked like it was inside an old fucking, uh, nightclub. It honestly was the size of, like, a American Eagle store. It was pretty tiny. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, Phil, you want to take the reins here and lead us on to an adventure. All right. So to get started here, Cody, I really, before I introduce this episode, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I know with, you know, the previous podcast you were on, you did these kind of shows a lot. I want to ask you this question. What would you say is your favorite creepy pasta? 
Okay, so I saw this question ahead of time and I, it got my brain thinking. I can't really remember all of them, but I think the best one I've ever heard is the Russian sleep experiment. I think that one is okay. really good. But I think my favorite one I ever heard before I even knew what a creepypasta was <laughs> and is really corny, but it's basically a story about a guy. He goes to a garage sale. There's a copy of Majora's Mask. Uh, the Zelda game, and he's playing yep. it, and there's like a weird character showing up in the game that shouldn't be there, and then the whole story comes to find out that is basically it was this little kid's that was his favorite game, and he drowned to death. His spirit was in the video game cartridge that this guy bought. Oh, okay, yeah, I don't think I've heard of that one. I remember from some of those episodes you guys did, you know, they were really, uh, <laughs> well, you guys made them fun, you know, yeah. but uh, creepypastas are pretty fun. They're kind of like, just to explain it a little bit, they're kind of like stories that are put on the internet that get passed around and people add to it and they kind of accentuate things and, you know, no one really tells it the same. So it's, it's kind of, it makes for interesting storytelling because it's like you know, hundreds and hundreds of people kind of retelling these stories. I feel like a game of telephone. It's it's funny you ask this because literally yesterday we were talking about this at work and I don't think the creepypastas are as good as they used to be. I think they've kind of fallen out of favor. I think it's because kind of like the cat's out of the bag on them being not real, you know. Well, before there was kind of this like air of mystery, like, ooh, you know, it might be something exciting that I'm reading. It seems like it's true. Once you start finding out who the authors of some of these creepypastas are, like when the cat's out of the bag for some of them. I on so, I'll, I'll I, give a really famous example later on in the episode. I, I honestly think the downfall of them is because there's different, more captivating outlets for them to tell horror stories, such as like, TikTok, YouTube, mm. you know, Instagram stories, Instagram. There could be a person telling this story that I think adds another layer of enjoyment versus just reading it yourself. Okay. And and like reading it and discussing it with other people on forums and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I th okay. and I think people also obviously when you have someone who wrote a creepypasta, there's really no author besides maybe a username like Bowser's Horde 69 or something like you don't know who that person is, but if you're on a social media platform, then they can get followers and such. Yeah, I think some of the problems are it seems like a lot of people will take credit for being the authors of some of these stories. Yeah, even though they have no evidence, no proof, and they pretty much, you know, a lot of them are firsters, you know, kind of like the hipster types. <laughs> I, I you know the type. I think the Russian sleep experiment, though, is the one people believe is without a doubt real. Okay. Yeah. I have heard that story, but I wasn't aware that it was kind of like in this category. I thought it was just kind of like a, a broader conspiracy. I mean, my understanding is it's all just a fanciful tale. Okay. Well, so the reason why I asked that question is because today's episode actually centers around a story that is known to be 100% false, with the author of the fable now known to the public. However, it has spawned an entire community of conspiracy theorists, who some even still to this day make pilgrimages out to the wilderness of southern New Jersey, trying to find evidence of a town lost to nature and a laboratory which only ever existed in books, 
Xeroxed pamphlets, and internet forums. Okay. Can we not say this is almost 90% of the conspiracy theories, Phil? Um, <laughs> things that are Pretty fake much, that yeah. people just will not let go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to like hearing this. Roswell, an entire town out in fucking New Mexico, has basically survived off of these a conspiracy theory that happened to be well it happened outside of their city but yeah well, i mean people making pilgrimages you know it kind of like existing in books <laughs> internet forums all of that well so. correct me if i'm wrong but we are planning to make our own pilgrimage <laughs> yes we are because <laughs> we're because we're, we're marks but yeah we're going i just want to there's some stuff you got us you've been there already i haven't yeah, well, I've been to the UFO McDonald's and the mall there, so I'll be happy to go to, uh, you know, the sites and everything. I'll get a, I'll get a Big Mac from the uh, UFO McDonald's. Well, you have to go there and take a picture at least. Absolutely. So, definitely. Now, something that's going to be very important to this episode, belief. One of the most powerful drivers of human will can and has led many people down some pretty crazy rabbit holes and in some instances go to great lengths to try to validate what they believe in their heart of hearts to be true. There are many instances from the past, whether it be leaving one's family to join the Crusades, hunting down and destroying a supposed coven of witches, or even perhaps traveling to Area 51 with the hopes of storming the gates and freeing the alien captive Zeld inside. Human beings, to this day, with all of the information that we have at our fingertips, still have the remarkable ability to suspend their own common sense and buy whole hog into a belief that isolates them from the real world and sets them off on fact-finding missions and wild adventures, with those beliefs themselves becoming the driving force in one's own life in some of the sadder cases. I mean, let's say 20 years from now. Yeah. Someone puts what QAnon is in a dictionary or something. This you just put this paragraph you just typed there and it just it's perfect for it. Yeah. So, I mean, really with I mean, the, maybe a mecca for the QAnon might become um that pizza place where they <laughs> believed uh the human trafficking ring was held in the basement. <sighs> yeah. Um, well, or possibly possibly Epstein's Island might become a mecca for that. They're definitely uh starting to starting to uh a fire that's just getting, you know, the twigs are just lit right now, but soon it'll be a smoldering fire. The the Trump train is like slowly taking off out, uh, out of the station right now. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, definitely. Ever since the raid and the like the kind of the promise of indictments, this Trump. Yeah, it's definitely been picking up steam again. So, so. I actually speaking of what you just said here, this is no joke. I watched a video today and the guy was. Talking to this woman, she's in, you know, full ma uh, MAGA regalia. She's saying that something, some Democratic politician is super racist because putting Chinese people in some sort of camp or something, right? And then she goes on to say, and he's like, well, why are you calling it the China virus? And, he's, and she's like, well, because Donald Trump said the virus came from China, so it's the China virus. And it was just <laughs> like, I feel like... The ironic nature of the questions and what she was saying was just like going right over her head. Oh, yeah, definitely. But uh, but yeah, this uh, obviously all sorts of conspiracies. You know, I, I'm guilty of 
believing in something that probably isn't true. Well, I mean, we both love conspiracies, obviously. We started this up, you know, we've become more, you know, I think we were bigger believers in conspiracies when we started this off. Now we're such such skeptics, really, though. Yeah, that's it's funny. Uh, I I've, I think about this a lot. Let's say you or I, we meet a nice girl, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're literally like, the word conspiracy theory has gotten so out of control that if you, I feel like, hey, I'm going to tell we I do a conspiracy theory podcast, I have to immediately be like, hold on now. It's not what you're <laughs> thinking. And that might be the response that a crazy person might say too. So we're kind of in a pickle. As she's turning her elbows away from you to yeah. go talk to her friend again, you're like, whoa, 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 easy. <laughs> no, we, we mostly debunk them. We don't believe in them. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> I actually well, I I usually let people get to know me that, you know, I'm not crazy before I tell them I have a, a podcast. Honestly, though, should we just be honest about it? Because you might as well lay out who you are in the first place. Well, they're going to find out eventually. But, yeah. You know, you might you might as well get them to like first. So. <laughs> now, to start off this episode, we have to go back way back into America's past to the forests of southern New Jersey where a small abandoned village by the name of Ong's Hat resides. Love the name. Um, yep. Please tell me this town still exists. Uh, well, okay, so there's one sign and there's a road called Ong's Hat Road. Okay. Honestly, this doesn't this sound like a place where a wizard resides? Like that is what he would call his little house? His little hobbit? Yeah. Hole? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's a yeah, sweet so one. It has a couple of different stories about how it got started. You know, it was way back in the 17th century. So obviously the game of telephone through history kind of, you know, distorts things. Yeah. Sweet name, though. Oh, definitely. It's spelled O-N-G hat. That's kind of it's a it's a it's a weird uh, supposedly it's a last name. So what? But I would assume it is of Asian descent, but I'm assuming it's not because of the time period. No, supposedly these people were from England. So Gotcha. Now, there are many stories about how this location actually gained its name. As one of the stories goes, in 1631, Francis Ong, his wife, who also was named Francis, and children, Simon, Jacob, and Isaac, left Suffolk County, England, to find some religious tolerance in the New World, uh, with his family actually settling in New Jersey. This was until Francis's grandson, born in 1672, would actually buy 100 acres of cedar forest near Northampton Township and build a cabin there. This would become the location of Ong's Hat, and possibly misinterpreted as Ong's Hut from the first actual structure that was built on the property. Okay, yeah. Obviously, definitely possible spelling wasn't great back in 1672. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Uh, and during this time in English, some of the letters were actually like used for different sounds. Like you've noticed sometimes whenever we use old English documents, the F's will sometimes be substituted for F's. It's a little weird. Yeah. You know what? I've gotten in maybe a bad habit of when I see somebody with like a, a name that's similar to a different last name, but like maybe spelled a little different or there's something just a little weird about it. In my head, I'm always like, well, clearly they must have, if their family came from like Alice Island or something, 
they must have misinterpreted what they said or something. And then that just ended up being their last name. Oh, just like from small town murder. James always talks about that. Yeah. Basically the bureaucrat at Ellis Island just kind of phonetically wrote down what their last name was. <laughs> and then was like, here you go for the next 10 generations. Here's your name. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty clear. Say my last name in America is with a W, but over in Norway, it, a V. Yeah, two Vs. So it's like <laughs> they probably wrote it like, oh, that's a W. Okay, here you go. <laughs> Vangen. Yeah. Oh, that sounds a little that sounds a little crowdy. Maybe we should <laughs> English that up a little bit. Wangen. Yeah. <laughs> now a second story actually goes that Jacob Ong was actually a bit of a dandy for his time. Uh, he also frequented a local pub or possibly dance hall. And he was at the time conversing with one of the local girls. This was when a jilted former lover of his snatched the hat off of his head, supposedly threw it to the ground and stomped on it. This caused Jacob to become enraged. He took the flattened hat outside and threw it up into a large cedar tree to which no one could actually go up and get it down. This supposedly became a marker for the town and possibly gave the village its name as the hat was said to remain in that tree for years. So, was his ex-lover Yosemite Sam, or what? <laughs> Tarnations! <laughs> Possibly. Uh, yeah, it's... Honestly, though, I might like that version better, because, you know, jokingly, people might literally be, oh, there's Ong's hat up there. Yeah, I kind of wish I would have actually put a, a picture up in the document for you to see. He's basically... he. He's got like uh, he's got a pimp cane and he's got his like big silk hat on and, you know, he's kind of like dressed up like a dandy kind of like doesn't <laughs> really fit in probably with the people who were in the wilderness at that time. Well, of southern New Jersey, probably why he's got so many lovers, possibly, you know, yeah. so one of the things that kind of like people doubt the story is true. Apparently, there wasn't really a bar or a dance hall in this area until like the early 1800s. So it would have been about a century before any, you know, drinking establishment or dance hall was actually there. But it's just kind of a fun story. Where'd they drink at then? I don't know. I mean, probably fucking church, you know, <laughs> it's where everyone went to to hang out pretty much. You know what? Uh, this is a little bit off of the subject, but obviously I've been slowly plowing through the uh, supernova in the east, the hardcore history. Yep. And or was it somewhere else? I don't know. Wherever it was, I was hearing they're saying that people back then, or like, let's say, early 1900s drank three times as much as we do now, which is probably true. But haven't I always heard that all that shit was like watered down? Well, so here's the problem with a lot of that liquor. So one of the big like causes of pro of prohibition was people were drinking way too much. They would, you know, they would go to work and drink while at work. They would drink before and after work and just be getting shit faced. Also, it wasn't highly regulated. So you didn't really know, like, you could either be getting whiskey that was, like, made in a good, like, distillery or in someone's fucking bathtub. You know, you had, you had no idea, like, where some of this shit was coming from. A lot of people were getting poisoned, too, but from basically pure alcohol, didn't not you, getting cut. Have it, didn't you hear, though, like, they, let's say you had a bottle of whiskey, right? Like, maybe yeah. not rich people but like the poor people they would like water shit down out of whiskey so you could just <laughs> sit and drink that shit all day oh yeah well i mean i've i heard more about like poor people just kind of like drinking beer 
or like going to little pubs and having to go beers to go beers. All right. In Bury St. Edmunds, there's a little bar called the Nutcracker, and it's a <laughs> extremely <laughs> tiny pub. And people would basically, like back during the industrial days, they would just walk up to the bar, grab a beer, and then take it to work, like a to-go beer, basically. Well, I can say uh, in our hometown, you know, what would it, 2003, 2004, I witnessed men drinking on the job. Uh, quite a few times actually. And I honestly, as a, to my credit, I was whatever, 17, 18 and I would drink on the job, but they didn't know that the adults <laughs> doing it, drinking on the job, everybody was doing it. It was like, it was acceptable, which is, I couldn't even imagine seeing a person drinking where I work now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember my first like real job was at Skyjack and some of the old timers who had worked there were talking about during the eighties. Basically, everyone had an hour lunch and they would all run to a restaurant and try to cram in like three beers during their their lunch break. Yeah, <laughs> not great. <laughs> no, definitely uh, times have changed. Yeah, for the better, I think. Oh, yeah. Now, no matter how the community actually started, eventually local industry would leave the area along with all of its residents leaving nothing behind but overgrown vegetation over old foundations and a single dilapidated cabin, uh, it's really just the only sign of civilization in the once-inhabited area. This, however, wouldn't be the end of the Ohm's Hat story. That's because, beginning in 1989, photocopied pamphlets began popping up throughout the area of southern New Jersey, telling of a strange settlement that had existed in the area of Ohm's Hat, this settlement was inhabited by mystics, scientists, and even a strange device known as the egg. Usually don't see mystics and scientists um, coexisting very often. Um, okay, I, I, I like where this is going. So we were four years old when this uh, started coming out. Yeah. yeah, so when this photocopy pamphlet started coming out was 1989 the story was telling of something that had happened like in the previous 10 years gotcha okay now are, are we going to go into why these mystics and scientists are here oh yeah we're going to get into everything all right let's hear it now these pamphlets titled ong's hat gateway to the dimensions told residents that in the nearby forests laid an interdimensional gateway located in the area of the former Ong's Hat. The author of these pamphlets, the Moorish Science Ashram, along with the Institute of Chaos Studies, told of an incredible story of a makeshift laboratory whose scientists were actually forced to escape the area after being attacked by government forces to the safety of another dimension. Huh, okay. I like it. I, I feel like I'd be kind of scared to just <laughs> go, go into a dimension and you have no fucking idea where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get into it a little bit. They had a, made one quick trip and then apparently, you know, they bought whole hog into it and wanted to live there forever. So because of circumstances. Supposedly. Okay. When you were at ASU, did they have a course on chaotic studies? No, they didn't. I actually <laughs> wish I kind of would have taken some of, uh, you know, one of the weird science classes. Um, they do have, you know, quantum physics kind of type classes, you know, really weird kind of out there sciencey classes. I just took normal astronomy. So I only what? needed one and I needed to pass it. So Look, I, 
I would say you're probably a smarter guy than I am, Phil, but I feel like quantum physics, that's, I, I think you got to have a special brain to understand that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, my nephew was only three times, so he was probably only about five times better at fucking quantum <laughs> physics than I was. <laughs> He's actually really, really smart. The one who lives in Minnesota. He's uh, he wants to get into that when he goes to college. He was ex last time I was out in Minnesota, he was explaining shit to me and it looked like I had a fucking burnt out fucking fuse in my brain. <laughs> is Just, this <laughs> is this what goddamn Big Bang Theory did to a whole generation, Phil? Possibly. He's a genius, though. So it's well, you know what? If you got the uh, capability for it, obviously that is going to be incredibly important for space stuff, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully he, you know, sticks with it. Well, you just tell him if he gets up there and we have we have like a touristy version of going to the moon, you make sure he remembers you and I want to go to outer space before we die. Yeah. Well, hopefully he makes it to outer space. I think in about 25 years, this bitch is going to be a burnt out cinder anyway. So <laughs> thanks, boomers. Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> so I mean, I'll exp I'm not going to read the whole pamphlet. I have it. Um, I have it down below for you if you scroll down. Um, it kind of has some interesting artwork on it. It looks kind of like little underground, little cheap, you know, in its presentation. Basically, it just kind of talks about chaos magic and chaos science. All of these computer networks working together. It's really kind of weird. I mean, right now we kind of know, you know, what computers are capable of, you know, what kind of things you can do with the internet. Back then, people had no fucking idea. All that computer shit was basically magic to them. It's interesting that someone had knowledge of all of this stuff that wasn't, you know, obviously now we kind of know this stuff. I'm sure I've heard of chaos magic. I'm sure you have as well. Yeah. Dimensions, yada, 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 yada. I like the picture, though. That was on the pamphlet. Yeah, this whole thing, this was the original pamphlet. Okay. Yep. I mean, very clearly this, where it says Ong's hat, is literally one of those, you know where you type things uh, and it prints the little label? Yes. And it's like raised oh, yeah. up, you know? People used to put them on like cassette tapes and shit. Yeah, so the title of it is kind of in that, like it's a like a label maker like yes. made it. Yes. That's how the title is. Um, and then down below, there's a picture. It's like a, it looks like a Loki-like figure juggling planets, kind of deal. It, yeah, it kind of looks like, like a to me, it kind of looks like maybe an Aztec or like a Mayan god or something like that. Yeah. So basically what this pamphlet kind of is getting at is they're using like mysticism along with science to try to explain kind of like the mysteries of the universe. So they put in a lot of weird words like fractal geometry and catastrophe theory, kind of like mixing all that stuff in there. So it sounds a little bit more like it sounds out there, but it also kind of sounds almost real like somebody who's way smarter than you wrote this and knows what they're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously if you want to do something like this, you just put big words people don't understand and it'll, that almost sound ominous and it'll, it'll get the message across. Yeah. And you'll get some people to believe it, you know, right. Hopefully a little bit of a following. Now, as the story goes in 1978, the Moorish science ashram would be set up by None other than a carpet salesman and mystic called Wally Ford, who had traveled throughout Asia studying the mystical arts, 
from India, Turkey, and Afghanistan, actually escaping the country of Afghanistan after the Russian invasion. Also, along the way, selling carpets to build a small fortune. He would end up using that money to buy up 200 acres of pine forests in the area of Ong's Hat. During this time, he would invite other mystics and seekers of knowledge to his new settlement, where eventually a series of aluminum trailers and mail-order yurts would be set up, where he and his followers would study spirituality, radical politics, tantra, psychopharmacology, and other counterculture interests. <sighs> yeah, he basically, I mean, you've basically laid out, um, if you had like a starting a cult for dummies handbook, yes. this is the <laughs> items they would literally tell you to buy. Yep. I got to say though, Phil, so I am going to have to deal with a carpet salesman in the very near future, and <laughs> I'm quite terrified. Yeah, hopefully they aren't also a mystic who suf who studied Sufism and Tantric uh, out in Asia, supposedly. You know what? You might want to. You might want to pick somebody else. When I go to one eight hundred carpets or whatever, I'm gonna very casually and um, uh, you know gently be like, "Have you ever heard of the legendary carpet salesman Wally Ford?" And if they say no, they ain't getting my business. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> you're not get, you're not getting your per foot uh, payments. Yeah, so definitely, like you said, this is a how to set up a cult in in you know in a story 101. You have some American guy who traveled around the world in Asia, you know, to all the weird Asian places, and then came back and kind of applying his craft and teaching others. So yeah, I mean, the modern day version of this is somebody on. TikTok or fucking Instagram who takes a interesting picture and then types some nonsensical horse shit and then yep. uh, people people go nuts for it. Yeah, you do have to remember back then though, especially coming out of the hippie times, this would have been totally plausible that there was just some dude who, you know, went out and studied this shit. This shit was happening all over the country, like especially not in this area. California, this was huge. These these dudes were popping up everywhere in California. Yeah, I I was kind of thinking about this. I'm like, in modern day, there's so much fake stuff on the internet or like yeah. people who can be found out as being fake like so quickly that it's really I would imagine something like this is very difficult to try to try to start. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like the, all the Wiccan chicks selling their crystals and their witch wares. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not what I meant, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I get, here's my thing. If you believe in that stuff, that's fine. But I feel like this guy has ulterior motives. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you believe in that stuff, that's great. If you're trying to sell that shit to me, that's not, you know. That's not cool. I don't it's like capitalism, that stuff. baby. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's <laughs> it's all in the game. <laughs> now, supposedly, Wally Ford would attract many followers to his makeshift compound, trying to unlock the mysteries of the universe, learning from the practices that Ford had picked up across Asia. Also, utilizing the strange spiritual vibrations that supposedly existed in that area, trying to unlock the mysteries of the universe and really just the wavelength of everything. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is pretty par for the course. I think that 
This guy reminds me kind of of, I know Netflix had that show where it was that yogi guy who like bought all that land in Oregon and then his cult people were like the cops and shit. Oh, yeah. I can't remember uh, what it's called. Uh, yeah, it's, they, the cops wore pink uniforms. Was yeah. it that one? Yeah. The, it was like a, a yogi. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and they started poisoning the non-church uh, followers. Oh, and they, uh, what did they do? To win the election, they actually bust in the homeless population from yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Fuck that up. was That was dirty tactics. <laughs> now, as it turns out, according to the story, another group had formed nearby the colony. This was a brother and sister duo, scientists, Frank and Althea Dobbs, who were disgraced scientists of quantum physics that had been kicked out of the University of Princeton. Their ideas about interdimensional portals had been seen by many in the scientific community as quack science, and they became shunned. They would actually form the Institute of Chaos Studies nearby during the 1970s. These two groups would eventually merge, finding a new aim together. Okay, so we're seeing the... The crazies kind of merging together. Yes. So you kind of have these, you know, hippie mystics coming together with these quack scientist type people and trying to really combine science and religion almost. I would kind of like to see what their proposed things were on like the inter interdimensional portals, but I imagine it probably didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. And it really, I mean, it didn't make a whole hell of a sense for this reason. So before we go any further, let me just say, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the story of Wally Ford and the sibling scientist that I'm about to finish off is a work of complete fiction. Oh. First published by a man named Peter Wilson in the magazine Edge Detector in 1988. You see how powerful the story is? I told you it was completely fake and you still believed it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> though it would later come out that the story's actual author was his friend, Joseph Matheny. He had created the story as an alternate reality game. Now, the kind of like the phrase alternate reality game is now known in the internet community as a creepy pasta. Matheny was actually very interested in these early games. Now, though the abandoned village of Ong's Hat is a very real place, Matheny made up everything else everything about the group of mystics and the sibling scientists eventually he would flood the media with the story in an attempt to put up a cloud of chaff around this story this is in an attempt to send any investigators down an unending rabbit hole making this story incredibly hard to disprove this would become the first ever massive hoax when it combined with the early internet Okay, first off, Edge Detector, it sounds like some sort of fucking sex toy that yep. you use to prevent your significant other from ejaculating. Um, now, number from two. From leaving the relationship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all sex toys. <laughs> um, so, I'm going to say this, Phil. He might be a, a person of chaos magic because trolling is kind of chaos magic like this. You know, I really didn't think of it that way, but I mean, that is a very good point. Um, he did very much enjoy 
putting this story out there, kind of like propagating the myth. So, yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, uh, he did take great pride in all the people he got to believe in it. So he created chaos through his fictional story. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, this was kind of a, a burgeoning thing that he really didn't understand. He didn't realize how big this would get when it was put onto the Internet. Well, I mean, we got to remember, too, the Internet and if in its infancy, people were a lot more gullible. I think now everyone's cynical and doesn't trust anything they see on the fucking Internet. Yeah, the early internet back in, well, 1988, 1989 was the wild fucking West, too. I mean, it's not like you could just hop on fucking and be like, is this true? And then find a thousand articles saying it was false. Basically, you had just what the internet people were setting up for it. Yeah. So, yeah, there wasn't much at all. Right. Do you remember the first website you ever visited? Oh, I would. God. It was probably Yahoo. Yahoo, honestly. huh? Yahoo to set up an email in, in school. I uh, I can still remember mine. I went to the library. Um, I was pretty young, and I went to Nintendo.com, and I thought it was the coolest yes. shit ever. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Uh, IGN was one of them. Like, looking up cheat codes. That's yep. probably the thing I used the internet for, like, first. That was actually back before there were search engines. You actually had to know like where you wanted to go. Cheatcc.com. That was the shit right there. Oh, yeah. Yep. Shit. Now you can just type that shit into Google and find every cheat code you want for any game. <laughs> Not a lot of the games put cheat codes in anymore. I've noticed that. I still play old games, though. So there you go. Some of the old, some of the old computer games I, I still play. They have cheat codes. They went from like cheat codes to just modding the game. Like that's the new cheat code. And also, you have to buy the new skins for everything. Back then, it used to be, uh, you know, you would just type in a code and get a different skin for your character. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, Speaking of cheat codes, too, real quick before we continue. Apparently, GTA 6 had been leaked that it is coming out in the near future. So, oh, can't wait for that. They're done squeezing the tit on GTA 5, I guess. Yeah, they, I mean. Come up on a limit. Was GTA Online, they were making... An insane amount of money from that. Oh, yeah, that's been their cash cow. Yeah. So getting back to this, anyone who has listened to our previous episodes knows that we really are no strangers in talking about Internet hoaxes and their wild tales. Really, one the big one that comes to mind is the story of time traveler John Titter with his need of an antiquated IBM computer to help save the future. Really, also, the exploits of Slenderman also come to mind. Like I mentioned before, you talked a lot about creepypastas uh, with your time on Bubble Butt. Yeah, sometimes they become too real, like the Slenderman story and those little girls stabbing the other one because of Slenderman. So they can be dangerous. Yeah, we are actually going to talk about uh, the people who believe in the conspiracy for the episode today, claiming that even reading about this conspiracy gives them migraines and really weird dreams. So it kind of like almost, you know, they make it real in their own mind. Gotcha. Okay. Well, fire away. Now this alternate reality game started out in the analog with Matheny and his friends first spreading the story via pamphlet distribution at coffee shops and bookstores in the area around Ong's hat in Southern New Jersey. Eventually, they would distribute the pamphlets via mail order, kind of like advertising them out of magazines. This was until 
1989, early 1990, when the story of Ong's hat researchers would be put into a catalog of stories about, you know, kind of like sci-fi scientific stories named Incunabla, slowly spreading the story ever further, with even some locals traveling to Ong's hat to try to find this area. That is, until the rise of the early internet, where Matheny and his friends would begin posting this story all over early forums, bulletin boards, and websites. This would gain the conspiracy a massive amount of popularity among the internet conspiracy community. So I wonder how many, uh, it was like, obviously it was him and some friends. Do you know, like, how many friends? Because this is a lot of work to distribute all that. Yeah, so it was him... Uh, his friend who had put it in the magazine early on and just they didn't really they only talked about those two in the kind of the articles that I read. Yeah, but it really wasn't like a ton of people. You think the dude at fucking FedEx would be like, what is going on here? (laughs) Or or whatever. The mail used to be a lot bigger back then. Back then, it wasn't only fucking, you know, goddamn Safeway coupons and shit. Back then, (laughs) people actually sent shit in the mail. That wasn't coming from Amazon. I I know one organization that will send you as many handwritten letters as you want. They go by the name of the Jehovah's Witness. Oh, yeah, definitely. I thought you were going to talk about those goddamn real estate people. The ones who try to buy your house. Uh, They just mass produce their little fucking cards and shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're sending those fuckers to an apartment complex. I obviously don't own this place. I don't understand what they're doing. (laughs) They're desperate. Yeah, definitely. Now, as far as the rest of the story goes, the Moorish Science Ashram, combined with the Institute of Chaos Studies, had dedicated themselves to the ripping apart of the fabric of the universe. They would continue to study the strange rhythms of the area until eventually they would create a machine a sort of sensory deprivation chamber, which the group would name the Egg. This machine had a small computer console inside, also a little pilot's chair. It was meant to be kind of like a deprivation chamber, you know, cancel out all the noise and everything outside. This was in order to study cosmic waves, light particles, kind of like the how the particles travel on waves. Kind of like, I don't know, I didn't really get it, but trying to kind of like, you know, break it down a little bit. Right. However, according to the story, it didn't quite work out the way that they thought it would. After a few generations of the machine had been made, they didn't experiment, though something strange happened during one of their final experiments. A test that happened to be taking place during the spring equinox would cause the craft to actually vanish for seven whole minutes. This would cause literal chaos among the chaos scientists until finally the pilot returned. He would come back, telling of interdimensional travel and a world just like our Earth. However, it was devoid of any human life. (sighs) Sounds like the world Mark Zuckerberg wants to live in. Um, Just him and the machines, yep. (laughs) Honestly, when you're reading this, I'm like, this is some shit that Joe Rogan would try to do. <laughs> like, he'd be like, man, you mean, I wouldn't You mean spread this shit or create it? Try to sit in this fucking egg machine and then try oh, to tell definitely. everybody he went to another galaxy and some MMA alien sucked him off or something. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. But 
it's a good tale. It almost reminds me of the movie Contact <laughs> with Jodie Foster. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. How, I don't, uh, how basically she fell for less than like five seconds, but it recorded 18 hours of static. Yeah. Yeah. I guess 18 hours, a little longer than seven minutes, but you get the point. Yeah. Kind of an underrated movie. Uh, I actually liked it. A lot of people seem to hate it, especially the, you know, the Internet people. They seem to hate everything, though. Yeah, they do. I need to watch it again. It's been a while. Oh, yeah. Now, getting back to this, apparently what had happened was the egg had shrunk down to the size of a molecule. When it was down to that size, it was traveling on waves of light along with the light's particles. This would allow the craft to move past our reality into a different dimension. Is this the movie Endgame literally copy this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I've. I don't know if I've seen Endgame. Where they shrink down to go back in time? Oh, you mean Avengers Endgame? Yes, sorry. Yes, Avengers oh, Endgame. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, that I hated that movie. But um <laughs> but yeah, I it's I don't know. It, is that like a theoretically possible thing? I mean, Jesus. When you're talking about science, I guess anything's possible. But, I mean, that would be the best way to travel at the speed of light, is to shrink yourself down to the size of a light particle and travel on its wave. I guess that might be you the know easiest way to do it. The trick would be to shrink yourself down, you know. You know what you're going to do? When your nephew finally graduates, you're going to replay him this episode, and then he's going to answer those questions for us. Possibly. Yeah. He might... <laughs> He might send me an email telling me how much of a dumb shit I am, probably. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, we appreciate all the emails. <laughs> That's true. Sub <laughs> subliminal D podcast at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> Tell us how stupid we are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We love it. Now, eventually, things would begin to get a little too crazy for the Institute of Chaos Studies, as the group's activities had allegedly attracted the attention of the United States government causing a raid on their laboratories, which would see many deaths in the groups. Those survivors of the attacks had actually decided unanimously to leave our world behind. They would break down their laboratories and trailers at Ong's Hats, moving their entire facility to the other dimensions Earth. They wouldn't leave behind a single trace of evidence of their activities in New Jersey besides a single wooden shed said to contain the singularity inside of it. They would only ever come back, supposedly, for supplies and computer parts. And also, I was reading, you know, just kind of like junk food and coffee that they liked, cigarettes and shit. <laughs> I mean, if this was real, I imagine you would, you know, get the attention of the U.S. government. How did, oh, they, yeah. how did they fit the trailers in their egg? I have no idea about that part. I mean, they would have to, maybe they had the technology to shrink their trailers down and then shrink everything inside of the egg. I it, I didn't read anything about them building like a, a bigger ship or a bigger, you know, chamber to, you know, take everything in. Perhaps, you know, maybe they made a fucking like a portal or something like that. What was that? What was that movie that they turned into a Stargate? Maybe they Maybe they made a Stargate. Somehow, well, they uh, found Loki or some shit. You know what? In their new dimensional world, eventually they'll have tales of basically the Adam and Eve story, except for 
It wasn't a Garden of Eden. It was a double wide. <laughs> it was a double wide trailer. Yeah. And a mail order yurt. Yep. 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 <laughs> Now, getting back to the real world, uh, the story was starting to pick up some steam in the Northeast as the series of pamphlets and magazine articles that I mentioned. There was a few curious individuals trekking out in the wilderness in search of the proof themselves, trying to, you know, find this cabin, trying to find maybe a trace of the egg somewhere, or maybe even a sighting of some of the scientists or the egg coming back. Though, when the story hit the early internet, it would explode across the world and the conspiracy community. It had been downloaded over 2 million times. I, I don't know, like most things, you know, get seen really a lot easier. Back then, I don't even know how many people use these in 1990. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say 2 million. You got people on YouTube who have like hundreds of millions of downloads at this point. Oh, yeah, and they're doing nothing interesting either. Just, no, no. <laughs> just some random TikTok bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was believers in the Ong's hat story. They would begin calling themselves eggheads. These eggheads would actually take it upon themselves to repost the story on other internet forums and bulletin boards, offering up their own theories and supposed proof of egg sightings and strange, cur and strange occurrences in the forests of southern New Jersey. Okay, now you got me wondering if this were the derogatory term egghead came from. <laughs> well, usually when you call someone stupid, you call them an egghead, right? Yeah, I don't hear it as much as you used to hear it. Kind of like the, the Bart Simpson, you know, time frame of kind of like that Gen X, how they always had like weird little insults that don't really make sense now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so, man, this guy, his story really got people riled up. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it caught fire. Now we're used to shit, you know, going viral. Back then, they didn't even have a name, for it, you know, wouldn't yeah. even be called viral back then. No, no. I mean, this is, and I guess there wasn't a lot of competition either on the internet at this point. No, and there wasn't a shit ton of people like posting shit or like making content. Now, basically, everyone who has social media makes content for the internet. Back then, you really had to know your shit just to put up a website. You know, you had to make it all from scratch. There wasn't anything like set up for you. I mean, if we were the first podcast ever, we'd probably be quite popular. I don't know. We're not that good at it. So <laughs> very true. <laughs> so Matheny, when he created all of this, it was a game for him. He didn't really make it for people to like really believe that this was real. He had thought that he had offered up like, enough evidence that this story was a complete work of fiction, putting breadcrumbs out there. He even posted an alleged picture of the survivors of the government attacks in one of the magazine articles that he published. It was actually the obvious photograph of the Brady Bunch cast, though fans of his work were not really buying that this was a conspiracy theory or you know fake. They would hound him for more information on the scientists and on the machine, the egg. Even beginning to set up camp outside of his home, making Matheny worried for his safety. Yeah, I suppose you, when you have a bunch of fanatical people, probably would. Um, yeah. So uh, the more and more, like he posted a picture of the Brady Bunch cast, more and more he is... A troll, if you ask me. 
Maybe yes. he's a chaos magician. I don't know. He's creating a lot of chaos. Yeah, this is really, I mean, really the more and more it's fun for him during yeah. this time frame. It was fun for him, you know, and then so he was trying to get this blown up as much as he could. You know, first he started with pamphlets, then he was getting it into magazines and into books, pretty much just kind of flooding anywhere, you know, anywhere he could set up his soapbox, he would put it. Then all of a sudden he found the Internet and unintentionally just struck gold. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is a byproduct of not having free porn at the time, you know. People instead (laughs) bought into this. Well, we talked about the ability to like zipper things down and to compress data last week on the episode. Back then, there was no compressing a porn. That's why it took like, you know, an hour just to download a picture back then. Yeah, not a lot of people had high-speed internet. Oh, yeah, especially living in fucking Cresco, Iowa. Oh, my God. if If you had any internet, you were like fucking... You must be wow, like you must be rich, you know. I remember uh, the kids used to. One kid in town must have had high speed internet or something because he always made like CDs with all these porn videos on it. <laughs> <laughs> I had that for a long time. Was this in the? This has been in like the two thousands. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Early two thousands. Yeah. So during this time frame would have been a decade before that. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's true. Yeah, it would have all been running through the phone line the early days. Yeah. Now, apparently, Joseph Matheny even has a story of one man that he had to escort off of his lawn at gunpoint, trying to get the crazed man like just away from him. Yeah, that's. I think that's when you know <laughs> you're messing with fire. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, really, all of this kind of just continued on. It really wasn't you know, that long of a time after he put it on the internet that Josie Maffini would be forced to write a retraction letter to the conspiracy theorist community online. He would post it on those same forums that had helped propagate his own hat story with the attention towards him eventually, for the most part, dying down. However, some conspiracy theorists would not accept that the story was in fact a hoax believing instead that he had perhaps been turned into a shill by the U.S. government, either being paid off or perhaps even coerced into writing the retraction, creating a whole new layer to the conspiracy theory and the now-alleged cover-up that they were creating in real time, online, amongst themselves. Yeah, I mean, it took him 15 fucking years to finally say it was bullshit, so... If people have dedicated 15 years into being hardcore into this, it's going to be hard to pry them away. Yeah, a lot. I mean, especially even now, like we talked about QAnon. There are so many people who base their entire lives, maybe not as much now as a couple years ago, but they were basing their entire lives around QAnon, Trump, uh, you know, with the coronavirus a lot of people now are kind of still doing that with the the idea that they were putting computer chips into the uh, the vaccines. Yeah, it's I don't know, Phil. I don't think that shit slowed down that much. Um, there's a lot of fanatical people that I see like on Reddit and stuff. But uh, but anyway, yeah, it's when you've linchpinned your life to this belief, sometimes it's hard to 
separate yourself from it. Yeah. Well, you you go on Reddit a lot more. I'm I'm mostly looking at like kind of like the social media stuff. So I don't see it on like Instagram or kind of like those other places as much. But if you're on Reddit, then you're probably seeing a lot more of it. I think though a lot of those Reddit people don't really believe it. They're just kind of doing it for the lulls, you know, the <laughs> kind of that sh- bullshit where they're just trying to see who they can get to believe in this. I think sometimes you you should try Reddit. It's really fun. Ah, uh, some people, but not all of them because a lot of the videos are taken from like some bystander witnessing shit going on and then them recording it. So it's Okay. So it's like like let's say there's a fight someone's recording like clearly that's not staged i mean it could be but unlikely yeah but by posting it on reddit are they trying to kind of like instigate you know kind of like their own little ideas or kind of like hatred towards people Uh, no not really um i don't obviously there's millions of subreddits but uh let's see what are my i like to look at trashy um <laughs> uh, you like to you like the cringe shit a lot yeah right? i do yeah. i do uh face palms <laughs> really funny and then uh they have tiktok cringe is a good one too okay yeah. so those are the well, types of videos like i guess technically people <laughs> kind of at their worst but um but yeah you see some crazy shit on there like the type of stickers people have in their cars the type of messages they write on one today literally said it was like repent or go to hell. And then their whole bumper was nothing but all the different sins you're going to go to hell for, which was like <laughs> everything. It's there's some crazy fucking people out there. Yeah, I actually made the mistake a few months ago of clearing my I believe it was my YouTube search history. And then I was looking up kind of like cringy stuff online. And the next day, the only thing that YouTube would show me was just cringe videos. Just every <laughs> every single fucking column was just cringe videos. It was actually kind of disturbing. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So to round this out, Joseph Matheny would face increased harassment from these few individuals that still believed in the conspiracy, with the community even trying to get him fired from his job. Allegedly, they had basically written to his employers telling them that he was a dangerous individual. Uh, This wouldn't stop Joseph Matheny from actually continuing his involvement with alternate reality alternative reality games and creepypastas, however, as in 2001. The same year that he would write that retraction, Mathidi would be hired on as a consultant for the John Titter time traveling hoax, supposedly using his expertise to help spread that wild story, which eventually would become out as being created by a man named Larry Heber. Now, I only saw this in one article, so I'm not exactly sure how true it is, but I thought that was kind of interesting because we talked about John Titter few times before yeah uh, i don't if that part's true then it's hard to feel bad for this guy if he just keeps doing it yeah i mean you can't feel bad when i mean no one deserves to be asked either online or in real life but he's kind of like setting himself up for it you know if he just completely but that's what you know they want if these people who are harassing him want him to get off one So he's almost kind of like throwing himself back out there. I can't imagine, though, when he was a consultant for this John Titter time traveling hoax, if he could like, you know, claim that he was the one propagating this. 
He probably had to do that in secret, I imagine. Right. Uh, I mean, let's say he is propagating it, right? All that's going to do is make his fervent followers believe that the other part's true because he has an even crazier story with fucking John Teeter. Yeah. Oh, it's the problem. We were talking about QAnon before. The problem is if this Q person was ever like really found out who it actually is and he came out and said like, yeah, I did this just for fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. They would just assume that that guy's a shill, you know, that there must be a real Q out there. It's probably Trump. You know, didn't they actually think that they found the real Q? Um, I was just going to say you have HBO go right now. Watch the like five or six part documentary about the QAnon stuff. And I, they, he's pretty sure they found who the guy is. Obviously he's not going to say he, it's who he is, but there's a lot of things leading his direction. Okay. Well, there's a lot of conspiracy. There's a lot of theories out there on who it is or who might be doing it. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the Trump people thought that it might be Trump himself doing it. I remember. A lot of the people like I was talking to, like when QAnon was big, a lot of them thought that Trump was doing it. You should honestly, though, you should watch. It's called like Down the Hole or something. Um, okay. You'll be able to tell. It's got like a giant Q on it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty good. It kind of, it really talks about the guy who started up the website where Q kind of popped up from and all the, it's this big intricate web of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, so what kind of got me like wanting to do this episode was kind of like thinking back on that story of like John Titter and like time travelers. And then I kind of found this along with like creepypastas. And I was like, Oh, just kind of like the idea of like making a creepypasta is pretty interesting. I had never heard of Ong's hat before. And I think it might've be one that maybe died out and, you know, might be good, but I kind of like creepypastas, you know, it's kind of hard because by the time they come around to me, it's kind of like reached the end of its life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an excellent story. I really like it. Actually, it, you know, I, from the onset, you're in today's mind. You're like, well, is uh, I mean, it's a little too unbelievable, but it's a good story. And obviously a lot of people got convinced it was real. Um, I'm I'm going to assume you you still don't believe it's real. Oh, of course not. No, okay. I, don't, I don't believe it's real. Well, the funny thing is I, so I had about, I don't know, three YouTube videos up and about eight or 10 like internet articles up that I was kind of, it's funny because all of the stories were a little bit different. So you kind of have to like sew it together. So it is kind of funny how these creepy pastas, everyone, even now talking about them in the past tense still has their own little idea about like like what the actual story was, you know, it's even like the game of telephone still goes on, even though the creepypasta itself is pretty much dead. Did you watch um, any that were like, they still believe it's real? Um, It's hard to tell because there was a couple of videos that I saw. I didn't want to use any of the videos where it seemed like the people actually believed that these stories were real. No. Um, some of them were pretending that they were real and then kind of went into, you know, how it started and how it evolved. The ones that were people were pretending or maybe thought that it was real. I didn't want to use theirs because yeah. they're not very good sources for. No, I'm, ju- I'm just saying to get like a gauge on what the people are like if they believe it. 
Oh, no, I didn't even think about that. Um, no, I didn't find any videos that seemed like they were really believers. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Almost like they were doing it kind of like, you know, to hype it, to hype it up. Yeah. Or, you know, kind of like hype up their own video, maybe yeah. get people to believe it. Yeah. I mean, if you if you have that type of YouTube channel, you almost have to to get people hooked. But uh, but yeah, honestly, though, I would love to know if, you know, we have some older fans. Maybe they remember when this was circulating. So if you could uh, contact us, if you remember it at all, that'd be fantastic. Uh, Phil, where can they reach us at? Yeah, if anyone, especially living in like New Jersey or the Northeast during like the early 2000s, late 90s, you can hit us up on our email or anyone else who wants to get a hold of us. You can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, great letters coming from everybody. It's it's really fun uh, just kind of, you know, hearing from people. We get a couple a week, so thank you for that. Even better way to get a hold of us, more people this way get a hold of us on our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Uh, love hearing from everybody. You know, all the likes, that probably was one right there. All of the likes and all the replies are great. You know, keep them coming. Uh, Cody and I both have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody Zabub. Uh, give me a follow, talk to me, do whatever you want. The last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review. Doesn't really matter what you say, just preferably five-star, type something in there and hit submit. Thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. You literally just hit five stars. You can't even physically type anything in there and hit submit. And thank you to everybody who's definitely taking the time to do that for us. Uh, Phil, beautiful episode. I've never heard of this creepypasta, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys.